O Lord God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my, my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can take a seat. Kim. Well, good morning again, everybody. Uh, my name is Sean. If I don't know you, I'm the lead pastor, teaching pastor here for uh, Redemption Peoria. If you don't know, something you're going to hear, if you plan on making this place your home, you're going to hear it every week. Uh, Redemption Church is one church with nine congregations throughout the state of Arizona. Each congregation is elder-led and lead pastor-led. Uh, you might have questions about that, philosophies, all that stuff. Uh, we'd love to help you navigate uh, anything that you might want to put in front of us. Myself and some of the other leaders will be by the Connect Us uh, after service, which is as you go out kind of to your right. Um, I will say this. Another thing that you're going to hear us uh, and, and experience often is we go through books in the Bible. We feel like it's a, a great way to understand the Bible. Um, but occasionally what we do is we stop and we um, address maybe a topic that we feel like as elders uh, is, is worth discussing. And this morning, that's what we're going to do. We're going to actually jump into Jonah uh, next week. We'll, we'll start a trek through Jonah. But today, we're going to have a conversation uh, around something we feel like is just a beast in our culture and is worth addressing, which is depression and anxiety. Um, We feel like this is something that has been going on a lot. And my job this morning is essentially to kind of bookend this. So when I get up here and say every week that Redemption Church is one church with nine different congregations, um, each of those congregations has a lead pastor that sits on what is called the lead team. And there is a pastor to the pastor, somebody who takes care of our our souls and continues to uh, watch over us, or a boss, if you will, which, whatever. Um, And that's going to be Tyler Johnson, which I'm going to invite him up and uh, somebody up here uh, in a second. But here's what I I really want to say, you know, for you to kind of understand what we're going to be doing this morning and moving forward to frame this whole deal. Um, When it comes to the topic of depression and anxiety, we want you to know up front, we're not claiming to have all of the answers. We're not claiming that you're going to walk out of here and hear something and go, sweet, I'm never going to have anxiety again. Um, Nor that the next steps for us moving forward, do we want you to know that. Here's all we want to do this morning. We want to make it really tangible for everyone in the room to know hey, this is a real thing, and I don't need to like, be scared to talk about it or embarrassed to talk about it. I was just talking with Gabe this week. He was informing me that for the first time in American history, suicides have overtaken homicides, meaning we are more likely to kill ourselves than each other. Uh, and that's something going on within our mental state. It's, uh, it's our diets. It's our emotions. It's our spirits. It's all this mixture together, and it's not an easy answer. And so we want to talk through it the best we can from a biblical perspective. And so Tyler is going to do that. Um, there's a lot of things that we want to share, but Tyler gave a sermon in Gilbert we felt like was super helpful to kind of talk through some of this stuff. So um, I'm going to ask Tyler to come up here. Tyler, if you want to come up. And then I'm also going to ask Marshall to come up here. We're going to start with an interview. Tyler's going to interview Marshall. If you don't know Marshall, Marshall um, was our youth director and um, he is somebody who, who struggles with anxiety and depression and, and has offered and been willing to, to come up here, I think, with a lot of bravery uh, to navigate this. You might want to switch spot or whatever. You guys can sit wherever you want. you figure it out. Um, yeah, there you go. So I'm going to hand this over. I'm going to hand this over to Tyler and Marshall. Marshall, I'll give you this mic, and then you guys can kind of jump into it. But let me pray just for our time together, pray for you guys, and then we'll go from there. Cool? Father, thanks so much for who you are. Thank you for... Uh, the opportunity to be able to navigate this. I pray for Marshall. I pray that you'd be with him um, now during this interview time, that he'd be honest and open. 
to lead us as a congregation in this area. I pray for Tyler. I pray, God, that you would use his words as he impacts the scriptures, uh, helping us see what we need to see the way that you want us to see it. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, it's good to be with you all this morning. Um, And Marshall, it's it's really great uh, to have you up here. This is brand new. We met each other face-to-face, I believe, for the first time today. We may have kind of interacted before at some point. I didn't know. But we've had uh, a few, I'll say, great conversations. Two phone conversations trying to get out what would actually happen in the midst of this interview because this is uh, not to use words that are used uh, maybe too often, but this is a really vulnerable moment uh, for Marshall and takes a ton of courage to be willing to come up in front of hundreds of people and share his story. So if you would, one more time, just thank him. Um, so one of the things when we started on the phone uh, that I had said to Marshall was one of my concerns with a moment like this or teaching a message on this is that it begins to be too trite. Or we parade Marshall up here almost like it's a zoo and go, here's our person that struggles with anxiety and depression that's willing to share it. Um, And then we tie a a bow on it and smile and we all walk out and go, well, at least we're a part of a church that talked about it. So that's a concern I have that I don't want to do to Marshall or to any of you is to trivialize the reality and the pain and the suffering that goes along with anxiety and depression. So on that, Marshall, I just want to start with a question I know I've asked you, uh, which is this. If this were to go, in your mind, good, or if this was to go really bad, could you tell us both? If it went good, it would be like this. If it went really bad, it would be like this. Yeah, um, I think... I think the only reason that I'm up here um, is because uh, I think in the end, like, it's not about me at all, but there are a lot of people sitting next to you that struggle with this as well. Um, and if um, Paul in Galatians 6 and in Romans 12 tells us that we ought to bear one another's burdens and that we ought to mourn with those who mourn, then really I'm just up here to get you to hopefully like let your heart break a little bit um, for the people around you who also struggle with this. Um, and, and to bear their burdens and to have compassion. Um, so I think if it were to go well, that's, that's like the goal. Uh, if it goes poorly, I think there's, well, there, there's two things that I don't want out of this. Uh, one is, um, yeah, I don't, I don't want to, like, like I, I have things in place to take care of myself, so I don't want, like, hundreds of people every week being like, oh, hey, how are you doing? Uh, and giving me, like, that look in their eye, like, pity, uh, that's, I don't want that. Um, and he has essential oils, too, so if you sell them, he doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't need them. <laughs> that's good. Uh, <laughs> I think the second thing, also, I don't want is, uh, like, I, I do want to be a safe place for people, but I don't want hundreds of people uh, just, like, pouring baggage on me, because um, I don't think that's healthy for me or for you. Um, yeah, so I think those are the two things that I don't want and, and the one thing that I do want. When I ask them that question, I like to use that question a lot in multiple situations is, hey, if what we're talking about went really, really well or if it went really, really bad, what would it be? And I loved what he said about Galatians 6 of trying to cultivate communities that really do what the Bible says, bear each other's burdens. But then when he said, like, I don't want a bunch of people coming up offering how to help me, like, I don't want that, and I don't want people coming up to me going, 
man, I struggle with that too. Can you be a listening ear? And he, he just said it here, so I'm only repeating him, is the sense of, I don't know if that's good for you or for me. And it, almost as the conversation went on, he seemed to imply for sure wouldn't be great for him. So I'm bringing that up at the very beginning to just say, just honor that. That's a, a big part of the way in which we can honor it. So, Marshall, would you tell us, when did, let's start here. So today's message is anxiety and depression. Um, which of those would you kind of say, that's me? Or would you say both? And then when did it start for you? Yeah. Um, I, I would say I have, I have definitely struggled with both um, at different times. Uh, the earliest I can pinpoint um, depression, which has been like the major uh, actor in that. Uh, the earliest I can pinpoint it is when I was uh, 10 years old. Um, we had, my family had just moved away from my childhood home, left all of my friends behind, um, and like I, I just thought I was sad, um, and it wasn't until the last couple of years that I really recognized that that was at least a moment of depression, um, and that that also stretched itself out because I didn't feel like I fit in in this new place, and there were things like self harm and um, yeah other other uh, coping mechanisms for uh, that sorrow, um, and then. Throughout, uh, like after that, um, there was definitely like, I don't know if a break from that is like the right word, but um, it it wasn't as present um, until I was into high school. Um, Probably, uh, I I remember an instance my sophomore year, um, just just here and there, like fights with my parents or something that would um, trigger it. Um, And then my junior year, uh, I expect, experienced some, uh, like, a really, really dark season of depression that kind of carried itself through the rest of high school. And then my freshman year of college was the best year of my life. I loved it. Um, that was, what, four years ago, something like that. Um, and then uh, I thought I was done. I thought I was done with depression. Um, I thought it was gone forever, and I was like, sweet, that's awesome. Um, and then the fall of my sophomore year, um, came in uh, even harder than before. Uh, and that was the first time that I experienced anxiety. Uh, I can remember times uh, where it just felt like the world was, like, trying to compress my head and, uh, like, break it in half. Um, and that has, those, those kind of things have been pretty constant since then. Can you talk, you started getting into this, so would you just begin to, for yourself... What, if you were trying to give words to what depression feels like or anxiety, whatever one, I mean, you just talked about it a little bit, like the compression of your head. Would you talk a little bit more about what it feels like? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so anxiety specifically, um, I remember I was walking on campus and listening to music, um, and it just felt like... Uh, yeah, so much, so much was happening, and uh, I think the best word is probably overstimulated. Like, uh, I just, I couldn't handle it. I had to take the headphones out and just, like, be in silence. Um, that was the only sort of solace there was from it. Um, yeah, overstimulation, I think, is probably the best word for that. Um, sometimes it feels like, uh, like, on the outside, maybe nothing's happening, but on the inside, like, every muscle and everything is, is just like tensing up and, and 
like shaking. A lot of people talk about the shakes, which, hey. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, as far as depression, um, yeah, I think um, there, there's a level at which sorrow is a good thing and a natural and unnecessary thing. Um, but um, like the first therapist I had uh, parsed it out into two types of depression. Um, one was it, it's brought on by an event, or the second is free-floating free depression is what he called it. And I would, I would say I struggle with the second one because um, there's nothing that I can be like, this is what caused it and this is what's carrying it on. Um, uh, yeah, I, does that, I think yeah, that yeah. answers your question. Anything specifically when you, it, does it just feel like a tremendous darkness, tremendous sadness? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I've processed it this way with um, some people uh, it, it sometimes it feels like um, I'm in a room or, or in a house that I don't know and all of the lights are off. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to navigate through this darkness um, and I, d- I don't know where anything is. I'm, I'm bumping into things that I don't want to. Um, and, and at times it's so debilitating that I just like give up and just take a seat wherever I am. Um, yeah, I think that's yeah. Talk about your, your wrestle with God. Um, it feels like that might be a fitting word, but just where has God been in the midst of this in your thoughts, in your heart, as you wrestle? How would you articulate God in the midst of it? Yeah. Um, so that, that's changed. Um, I mean, I've struggled. if I've struggled with this for 12 years now, um, then I, I, this conversation isn't going to capture all of that. But um, uh, early on, uh, like in high school, um, I, it, this struggle draw me close, closer to God, drew me closer to God. Um, I actually think that's like the moment when everything clicked was because of sorrow. God used that to, to draw me into himself. Um, however, uh, more recently, um, it, it's actually been like a hindrance in my faith. Um, uh, it's, it's really confusing to, um, so, so if Jesus says that he came to give life and give it abundantly, um, uh, I think there's two things that he doesn't mean. One is I don't think he means only eschatologically, like, I don't think he means only life and eternity, but I also don't think he means that anxiety and depression is what he wants for us. Um, so it's really confusing for me to be uh, like sitting here and praying for life abundantly that he offers but then still struggling with anxiety and depression. Uh, and that, that pushes me away um, from God. Um, and, uh, yeah, so if, if God is sovereign and provident, um, but I'm still struggling with this, and I've been praying for years that I would be healed of it, but I am not. Um, I, I don't know what to do with that. So, uh, yeah, and... Being a Christian in that, like, I, I, know, I know how to get ultimate salvation from, from anxiety and depression, and that's, uh, like, that's my, my eschatological hope in Jesus Christ, like, that I will be saved. Um, but I, I'm struggling to find hope in this life that I will ever be free from this. Um, uh, another way to explain it is, like, it feels like something is following me, 
Um, and, and even though I get maybe one or two steps ahead of it, it, it always catches up to me, always does, or it's lurking around a corner waiting. Um, yeah, so I, I know how to get to, uh, to my eschatological hope, and that's, like, death. Um, that's basically, at some level, it's salvation, um, but it's also not, well, yeah, it's not a good thing. Mm-hmm. Like, death isn't the way it's supposed to be. So, um, yeah. Oh, that's great. Last question. Um, what are some of the most harmful things you felt like Christians or people in the church have done to you, and what are some of the most helpful things? Yeah. Um, hmm. So, if, uh, if, um, if, it, if, if it's like kind of a spectrum from Arminianism to like staunch Calvinism, um, and I'm sitting across from a person, and I tell them that I'm struggling with doubt or depression or anxiety. Um, it's really easy for it to, the pendulum to swing. Um, so somebody who believes that you can lose your salvation would just say, well, you're no longer a Christian. Um, or somebody who s- says um, that, that you can't lose your salvation, they would just say, I was never part of the Christian community in the first place. Uh, and both of those things are really hurtful. Um, and this is when they hear you struggling, saying, I struggle with depression, anxiety, or hear you more articulate where you're at in the midst of it. I'd assume right. both. Yeah, 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 for sure. <clears throat> They're questioning your salvation. Yeah, I mean, and I'm questioning my own salvation enough as well. Like, uh, I'm like, do I, do I believe in Jesus? Because it's not changing anything if I am. Um, and, and I can't make sense of the world around me without the Christian worldview. We've talked about that. Um, it, it just, I just can't come to a different conclusion that makes sense, logical, rational sense of the things around me. Um, but to hear someone say, oh, you're not a Christian, or, or to like be, I don't know, like afraid of me or something, uh, afraid of the struggle, is, uh, it's, it's really harmful. Um, but I think the best way to respond in those moments and I've had this with the leaders here, um, with Sean and, and Jim and John specifically, um, is to just sit with me in it. Like, m- m- most of the time, um, what's most helpful is not answers, because there usually aren't anter- answers. And even if there are, they're, they're probably not going to be helpful. Um, and regurgitating orthodoxy or, or s- systematic theology, like, those things aren't, aren't helpful in the moment. Um, but just sitting there and like Romans twelve fifteen mourning with those who mourn, that's like that's why I'm still here. Mm. That's tremendous. Would you all thank Marshall? Wait, I want to hold on. Um, because because we're both mic'd, I have to ask you this on a microphone. But do you do you care if I refer to a couple things you said in the midst of the message? Go for it. Okay. All right. I'm going to pray. Father, I pray uh, right now for Marshall, and God, I pray for us as a community, and I ask you um, in the name of Jesus that today, in um, I pray a tangible and experiential way that um, you would meet us in the midst of this. God, I pray that you would let... Uh, us know that we're not alone for those who are struggling with depression and anxiety, that we would know uh, that we're not alone and that we would experience um, the truth that you say, that you are the wonderful counselor. 
you are the everlasting Father. God, that you are the Prince of Peace. So we pray and ask for the Holy Spirit. God, I tell you, before everybody in this room, I am not capable of providing for people in this room or even for myself the peace that you promise, the comfort that you um, have established And yet your spirit is, and your word of God is sharp, and so I pray that you would do your work. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Marshall, again, thanks so much. I really appreciate the courage to be up here. So we are in Psalm 88 is where we're going to be today, and one of the things at the very uh, start that I want to refer you to as you open your Bibles, whether they be in electronic form on your phone or a hard copy of the Bible, um, I want to point this out. We're in Psalm 88, and I'm certain that some people would hear that interview and feel like, you know, it's almost like the ending of a movie that doesn't end happy. Like, can we, give me something, give me something tangible. What's so interesting at the end of Psalm 88, Psalm 88 ends, Psalm 88, verse 18, with this statement. You, the psalmist, this is a prayer. He's praying this to God. Have caused my beloved and my friends to shun me. My companions have become darkness. His statement at the very end of his prayer is, my closest friend, God, isn't you. It's darkness. That's how the psalm ends. That's not a very uplifting psalm. I want to draw out a few things that uh, we saw in the midst of Marshall's story, but that are directly in the Word of God. We believe that this is the inspired Word of God given through a man who's writing a prayer in the midst of deep, deep darkness. What we may say is debilitating anxiety and chronic depression. He starts in this, and we've already heard it read by saying, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline my ear to your cry. Here's the first, and I think probably the most important, given where many of us together sit and where we sit as individuals, is for us to understand that believing, emphasize that word, believing Christians struggle with anxiety and depression, and it can last a really, really, really long time. The psalmist starts off by saying, O Lord God of my salvation, he pens a psalm that's in the inspired word of God. In a book of the Bible that people would say is one of the most read books in all the Bible, and he starts by saying, O God of my salvation, a statement of salvation in and of itself. God is the one who saves. The meaning of the name of Jesus or Joshua in the Old Testament. You are God and you are the one who saves. And he's declaring it in a prayer, a conversation of sorts, an emotional conversation. Oh God of my salvation, certainly the psalmist is a believer based upon his profession and based upon He writes a whole prayer that's in the Bible itself. This isn't just true of this psalmist. This is true of people we would look at and say they're heroes in the Bible. 
There's this place in the Bible, Hebrews chapter 11, that many have called the Hall of Fame of Faith. If you walk through the list of names that are in Hebrews chapter 11 and chart their stories in the scriptures themselves, you will see that this is actually a hall of fame of anxiety and depression. If you just take Moses alone, it was anxiety. Moses' name's mentioned in Hebrews 11. It was anxiety that led Moses to kill the Egyptian. He's terrified in the midst of it. He murders an Egyptian. He then, his anxiety intensifies because he's so terrified by what he's done. He runs. It was anxiety that now led him to run away from Egypt overall. God meets him in the midst of the wilderness. God calls him to something, and it's his anxiety that says, God, are you nuts? I'm not going back there again. And then his story continues, ridden with anxiety, and I'm certain his anxiety led to deep moments of darkness, and I believe you could defend that biblically from his story. David, who penned so many of the Psalms, if you read the Psalms aright and you get with a mental health professional, they would say David probably had every clinical mental health diagnosis there was. At times he's schizophrenic, other times he's clinically depressed, debilitating anxiety. He clearly has mood disorders that are all over the place as you read the Psalms, and yet he's called a man after God's own heart. Paul himself in the New Testament has been struck with every affliction speaks about his weaknesses in such dark terminology that you could put those labels upon him as well, not the least of which is Jesus, who the Bible says was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. This is true in church history as well. Teresa of Calcutta, Charles Spurgeon, Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote a book called Spiritual Depression. You want to know why? Because he was depressed people in our own church, Marshall, whom we just heard, emails that pastors get on and on and on. And the trouble is many of us think we're alone. This is who we are. This is the church. This is the people of God and has always been. There are numbers that are rising, as Sean said, and we have to ask the question of why, but this has always been true of human beings and not just human beings, but Christians Believers in the one true God, believing Christians struggle with anxiety and depression, and it can last a really, 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 really long time. This psalm itself speaks to this psalmist having it upon him for a really long time. Look at verse 15, and depending upon your translation, the ESV says this, afflicted and close to death from my youth up. Other versions, I've had this darkness, this affliction, since I was a kid all the way until now. And if you read this psalm, if that's what he says right here, that I've had this anxiety and depression from then all the way until now, it hasn't dissipated. Maybe like Marshall, is it's gone in waves and there's been moments that it's gone away. Maybe for this psalmist, there was a freshman year in college, like Marshall spoke of. Where he went, I think it's gone. I haven't experienced this in weeks, and now it's been months, and now it's been months and months. But then, free-floating depression, wham, it hits him again. And it feels in those moments of struggle like it never dissipated. It's always lurking around a corner. 
It's always sitting there. And then depression leads to anxiety. This is a true human experience. There's this loop that happens. Now I know what depression feels like, and now I'm anxious, even if it's not there right now, that it will be in the future. This psalmist, as you carry it on, experiences this as well, and he feels it. This is the next thing we see from this psalm, is that depression and anxiety physically feel like something, not just mentally. He says, for my soul is full of troubles. My soul, the deepest part of who I am, is full of troubles. Troubles of depression, troubles of anxiety, and my life draws near, some versions say, to the pit. This says to Sheol, which could be translated of the likes of hell. My life draws near, as near can be to the pit. Now, when you think of a pit, what does it feel like? What is the sense? There's no light, it's deep, it's dark, it's cold. Folks, this is what depression feels like. People will articulate it like it feels like you're drowning underwater, totally dark, no light, and I cannot catch my breath. Anxiety feels like an elephant on your chest. But if you talk to somebody that really struggles with anxiety, they'll go, I don't even like the word like, because that's a simile, if you guys have been in English before. It's feels literally like there's an elephant on my chest. Like the pressure's so intense upon my chest and I can't relieve it for anything. The darkness is so thick and it's so palatable that even if I open up all the curtains and walk outside, it feels like there is no light. He then says in verse 4, I am a man who has no strength. And can I get a witness here that when you struggle with anxiety and depression, you feel totally exhausted. The kind of exhausted that you know your eyelids are so heavy, and it's not a metaphor, that you literally are waking up in the morning and in the midst of the day, and you're trying to just keep your eyes awake even though you're awake. You're just trying to keep them open because they are so heavy. You feel like you can hardly put one foot in front of the other because you have no strength. You're not alone. The psalmist is with you. I am a man who has no strength. No strength. I am one set loose among the dead. This is what it feels like. I'm among the dead like the slain. He said, I'm like one amongst the dead. I'm like the dead, the slain, who lie in the grave. He's saying, I am a dead man walking by the nature of what I'm going through. Like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of a pit. Now watch the cycle begin to happen. Now the psalmist is saying not just how he feels, but now he begins to accuse God. You've put me. God, you're the one who put me in this pit. You have put me in the depths of the pit, verse 6. In the regions of the dark and deep, your wrath lies heavy upon me. You overwhelm me with all of your waves. You have crushed, you, I'm sorry, you have caused my companions or my friends to shun me. Now, here's something 
you need to stop and realize there is a feedback loop. There's a loop that happens with anxiety and with depression. It gets to a point where now when you've experienced anxiety and you've had a panic attack and you have itches all over your body, like you're itching, your hands are breaking out, right? And, and you see it. You're having physical responses to your fear and anxiety. You know what a panic attack feels like and it dissipates. Well, now you get anxious that you're going to be anxious again. Or in the midst of your anxiety, you're anxious that you are anxious. Or now you experience depression at such deep levels that now you're sad that you're sad. Right? There's a loop of this. Or you're anxious that you're going to be depressed, like Marshall talked about. Now, I want you to know there's a reality of anxiety and depression. This psalmist just said, you have caused my companions, my friends, to shun me. One of the harmful things that's done in the church and outside is walking alongside of somebody with anxiety and depression is walking in a burden. But there are many points where it gets so thick that people will begin to say, you're a load, I'm God. And some of you in this have heard that. You're a load. Like, it's just constant. You are a load, and then all of a sudden, your friends leave. That truly does happen with people in an anxiety and in depression. Or we try to create a quick answer. You must not even be a Christian. Okay, hopefully that one's gone in the midst of our community because we just saw believing Christians struggle with anxiety and depression at times for a really, really long time. So there are these moments where people shun you. But there are also moments, and hear me in this, if you're one who struggles with low-grade or high-grade anxiety or low-grade or high-grade depression, these moments can affect your perception. So it may be that friends have shunned you, or it may be that you just perceive that they've shunned me. I don't know which it is for the psalmist. I don't know if actually his companions totally shunned him, or if there are people still sitting there with him, but it's so dark, it's so gnarly for him that it feels like nobody's around. So one of the powers of this moment, like Marshall said, is just to be there, even in the midst of when somebody goes, you've totally abandoned me. And you go, Aban- I'm here. By definition of the word abandoned, I haven't abandoned you. But that's a part of it. There are loops to this. And you see the psalmist, this gradually gets more intense, more intense. You've caused my companions to shun me. You've made me a horror to them. I'm shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Now hear me. I don't know which it is. People do abandon folks in these situations. And people's perceptions affect it. It could be both. But I'm trying to say if we're going to be a community who walks with each other through this, we have to know this. And if you are with me and with others who do struggle with this, and I I have to right now say this, this is really important. I would say I'm a person who struggles with anxiety and has struggled at times with depression, but I would put it in low-grade category because I'm in a community of people who struggle deeply and consistently all the time. So don't hear me saying that all anxiety is alike or that all depressions alike. It's not. But I will say this to all of us, low or high grade on the spectrum of anxiety and depression. 
Every expert, Christian and not, would say the loop has to stop and you do have a responsibility to help stop it. Meaning, you have a responsibility in this process to contribute, which doesn't mean it's solved. Don't hear me saying that if you do this, this, and this, it'll be gone. I'm not saying that. But I am saying at the moment, a lot of times, for instance, when anxiety is happening, you get so scared of anxiety, you try to just run. And now your senses go up, you feel the prickles all over your body, your mind begins to compress, like Marshall said, and you try to run from it. I'm going to run from anxiety, but anxiety is all over you. You don't run from it. A simple tactic would be to go, this is anxiety. Or call it, name it. In the midst of deep, deep darkness, don't just get sad, sad, sad. It might happen, but make sure you go, this is depression. And make sure in the midst of that you go, and I'm not the only one. Because part of the lies of the enemy in the midst of anxiety and depression is that you're alone. You see the psalmist talking like that. You're not alone. Literally, you're not alone. There are hundreds, thousands of people in the midst of your community of Peoria that are struggling with this. There's hundreds of people in your church that are struggling with this. But we contribute to this. And here is the ultimate break in that loop. It's God. We don't have all kinds of time, so let me just make this point. It's God. So many of you, if I just read this prayer alone and said it was a prayer of somebody in this congregation, and I modernized the language, would feel like the prayer was blasphemous. You'd feel like, you can't say those things to God. And yet it's put in the Psalms to teach us to pray, to say, pray like this. And this psalm is put in the Psalms to say, not every prayer has to end happy. Not every prayer, though I would advocate and the Psalms would, most should end with, but you're God and you're good. But everyone doesn't. This one ends with, darkness is my closest friend, not you, God. So part of our responsibility is to say, try to not make the corpus of all your prayers end with it's just darkness, but don't you dare be scared to end a prayer with it's awful, God, and you feel awful. The power of this prayer is not in the happy ending of a bow at the end of it saying God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. The power of this prayer is that it's directed to God. The power of this prayer is that it's directed to God. God, you are the God of my salvation. You put me in the pit, God. Your wrath is over me. You're the one multiplying the waves. You're the one. Let me just say this as humbly as I can. The moment you stop directing your complaints against a God who you think actually could do it, and you're directing them nowhere, that truly is the road to darkness. Marshall made this passing comment when he was sitting up here, and he said, you know, and the reason he said, you know, Tyler, is because we had this conversation. He said, at the end of the day, when I look at the world, the only view of the world that makes sense is Christianity. But God's really hard for me right now, like really, really hard. It's hard for me to even sing lyrics in which I want to believe the things I'm saying. That's very much like this really, really hard moment 
where all these people begin to abandon Jesus. And Jesus looks at his disciples and goes, will you two leave? And Peter has this line where he says, Lord, where else would we go? Where else do I go? You have the words of eternal life. Even if that eternal life feels only, the word Marshall kept using, eschatological, only this future promise, at the end of the day, if there isn't somewhere to go, God, who ultimately some weird way has a sense of all of this, if there's nowhere else to go, then there really is nowhere else to go. So my exhortation to all of us would go, even if they're complaints, keep bringing them to God. And then here's the last thing I want to say. Very fitting week, just post-Easter. So let me say this. Hope is not optimism. Do you understand the difference? Optimism is in the midst of your anxiety and depression saying, you know what, I believe. I'm believing right now it's going to be gone by August. And August comes and August goes and it's not gone. I believe it's going to be gone by Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving comes and Thanksgiving goes and it's not gone. I believe it's going to be gone by the time I graduate or by the time my kid's wedding comes or it's going to be gone by this time and it never goes. That's mere optimism. I wish I could go into all of this. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, wise people must condemn optimism at every level. But hope's different than that. Hope is a reality. Hope is a reality that's sure as an anchor, the book of Hebrews says, that this is not all there is. And the apostle Paul, in the midst of his darkness, believed this so much so, so much in Romans chapter 5 that he said, you want to know something? More than all of this, we can rejoice. That's such a weird word. We can rejoice even in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. Now, let me stop. I in no way would say I know Marshall. No way. Really know him. Yet we've had a couple really vulnerable conversations and more text threads. And yet I know that in the midst of his suffering, his suffering has produced an endurance in him that many of us don't know. And as I talk to him in his honesty and in his transparency, I know that that endurance has produced in him character. Now here's the end that's hard for us to acknowledge. Paul says we can rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And then here's what he says. And Character produces hope. And hope will never disappoint us. Other versions say hope will never put us to shame. So let me say this without sounding too trite. Many of us in the midst of our anxiety and depression have tremendous amounts of disappointment, which we need to bring to God. I'm sad that my life turned out like this. I'm disappointed that it turned out like this. But sometimes, I'm not saying all the time, our disappointment can show us where our ultimate hope lies, and then in fact it wasn't hope, it was optimism. I believed my life was going to turn out a way it didn't ultimately turn out. Hope is a belief ultimately in the end. Somehow, God works all of this together for his good, even if it never touches me until after I die. Somehow the promise of what he's going to do in the future can 
slightly, even if it's a prick of light, brighten my day today because I know the end. I know the reality of all of this that may enable me not to just get, pardon me, angry. I caught myself angry at my sufferings. But to say, Lord, in the midst of this, you're developing in me endurance and character. God, give me hope. Let me end with this passage that we read just before in the book of Hebrews. And so you understand this as we move in to this moment of communion. Jesus is acquainted with grief. He knows where you're at. He knows the pins and needles of anxiety. He knows the drowning feeling of depression. The way the author of Hebrews says it is that since we have a great priest, high priest, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus is God, amen? This means we don't have a God who is unable to sympathize, empathize with us in our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, who has felt what we felt. You don't think Jesus has encountered anxiety? Look at the Garden of Gethsemane. He sweat blood. You don't think he's developed and experienced depression? Read about it. He's a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. If that's true of our God, what should we do? Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. It's all God. That's what grace means. These moments of anxiety and depression, I can't get myself out. I can't even believe. That's when you know what grace is. Is the moment you're dead on the floor, curled up in a ball, and you know if it was up to you, you're gone. And you go, it's in those moments, I know grace is grace because it's 100%. Not 98%, 100%. The only way I believe right now, God, is if you believe on my behalf. That's grace. And he knows and he understands So approach the throne of grace, not timidly, with boldness and with confidence that you may receive mercy and grace to help in your time of need. And I'll end on this. When we go to prayer and go to communion, one of the greatest prayers you can experience, if someone in your family is dealing with this, suffering at a deep level, or you are, one of the greatest prayers you can direct to God is one word, help. Let's pray. Father, we love you. um, And we know that we love you because you first loved us. God, I pray that you'd meet us in the midst of the real stuff, in the midst of real life. God, meet us. God, touch people this morning. God, I pray that you would do what we cannot do. You'd touch them. In Jesus' name, amen.